Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Good morning. How many of you drove here today? How was that ride in the, in the rain? A little challenging? Probably had to keep your hands really pretty tightly on the wheel, right? Make sure that you didn't brake too hard. Watch out for other people. Life is like that. Life is like a big, long road trip. I know I'm not telling you anything new, but have you ever considered your life in that vein, like a, a long journey? The title of today's message is GPS for the Child of God. Romans 8, 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. How our journey progresses in this life really has much to do with who's leading and who's following, doesn't it? If we think of life as a really long road trip, we can make that choice to allow God to lead or not. Basically, we need to ask one crucial question. Who's who's doing the driving and who's the passenger? If we choose to be the leader of our journey, then for the most part, we're responsible for where that takes us. Of course, a lot of things can come in and change that course. Bumps in the road, detours, crashes, they'll all impede our route. Running out of gas, blowing a tire, or unexpected traffic jams can also hinder us from getting where we want to go. As a Christian, you may even be there right now, broken down on the side of the road, waiting for roadside assistance that seems to take forever to get there. Or you might be cruising along with the top down and the wind in your hair and uh, just enjoying the ride. But remember, whatever condition you find yourself in, those things can always change, and they will usually change. Today's smooth ride can easily turn into tomorrow's traffic jam. Or worse, a multi-vehicle pileup with numerous casualties. How we choose to handle those times will have a large impact on the rest of the ride. According to most high-end sports car drivers, which I'm not, there's nothing more exhilarating than the feel of a powerful vehicle in your hands. As the car responds to the slightest tap of the gas pedal or turns on a dime as your hands grip the steering wheel, you kind of become one with the vehicle. But in today's technology, we're quickly coming to that day when that won't be the norm. 
driverless cars are on the horizon. I don't really get it myself. But that's, that's really not that far off. There's an article I read about that. It says, right now there's a fight brewing about how to introduce driverless cars to the populace. Google's driverless cars don't come with steering wheels. But most actual auto manufacturers want theirs to. This way they can kind of ease people into the idea. You could buy a car knowing that you could put it in self-driving mode on the highway, but take over during more complicated bits of driving. A study by Volvo found that virtually everyone, around 92% of drivers, want a steering wheel. Can you believe that? They had to do a survey. Want a steering wheel in their first autonomous car. And a report from earlier by the Department of Transportation warned that federal, federal regulations might mean cars without steering wheels actually won't be street legal. So I'm, ha- I'm happy that they're taking their time with this. But one day, all the autonomous cars will be connected to a computer network that lets them know not just where the roads are, but where the hazards are and where the other cars are. It'll update quickly and pretty much be always current. But until we get the cars piloted by more sentient people off the streets, in other words, you and I who like to feel the car, feel the steering wheel and actually control it, driverless cars will rely on lasers, cameras, and GPS to know where they're headed. So it's all this technology that's out there. But think about what we're depending on when we go that way. Because anyone who's ever driven into a lake or had a quick trip to the train station turn into an 800-mile journey because they were thoughtlessly following GPS will tell you that that's not such a great idea. And I know uh, my son was telling me that they had planned a trip uh, that's supposed to have been a couple of hours And they were driving and driving and driving because they had put into the GPS, avoid highways. You know, you can put those preferences in. And so you avoid highways and you'll be on back roads and forever, it seems. Those examples kind of tell us that in any journey, getting there can be either half the fun or half the frustration. The same goes for our spiritual walk with the Lord. As believers, our destination should always be glorifying God and making right choices in life, making the right turns in this journey. But how can we know? How can we know where to go? And how can we effectively get to our destination as believers? In our main verse for today, Romans 8.14 It speaks about being led by the Spirit of God and being a child of God because of that. He needs to lead us. He needs to guide us by His Spirit. It says in Psalm 27, 11, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. That's a great prayer. The psalmist tells us that the Lord's ways are always best. This prayer was for a smooth path 
But it's not the way you might think. See, in Hebrew, that word for smooth means righteous. This is not a prayer for a a problemless life, but a prayer to lead the psalmist into righteous living. Into righteous living. We know that sometimes following GPS in our cars will take us down a bumpy road. See, the GPS doesn't really care about the road conditions. It mostly will direct us to our destination the shortest way. God's positioning system, that's what GPS is for the believer, can also take us down some bumpy roads. But remember, the destination will always be righteousness. He'll never lead us into sin. And in that way, like the psalmist, our paths will be smooth if we stay connected to that. See, God's will is like GPS for our lives. The Bible says that God has prepared a route for each one of us. He'll meet us where we are, and He gives us the course and the destination. But the course needs to be followed if we're to arrive at our intended destination. God directs His will for His children, but doesn't He give us that choice? to follow or not. And we can live outside of the will of God if we choose to seek our own desires and have a self-directed life as opposed to God's plan. Is Jesus in control? Is Jesus leading us by His Spirit? Or have we wandered off onto some back road all on our own? John 16, 13 The first part of that verse says, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will lead you into all truth. Jesus is telling His disciples that God will provide us with a guide for this life. We're not on our own. You see, the followers of Christ in Jesus' time could tangibly touch and see Him. And if they wanted to follow him, all they needed to do was watch where he went and go that way themselves. But imagine how concerned they were when Jesus told them that he needed to leave. He needed to go away. That is, he needed to go to the cross and die. Imagine how concerned they were. How would they know where to go? Who would they follow? How would they know how to get to their destination? They needed reassurance that God would somehow guide them and direct them in their lives. Just like the disciples, God's will can only be accomplished in us by His Spirit. In that model prayer that Jesus gave His disciples, God's will is identified as the central concern of this life. Jesus told them to pray that the Father's kingdom would come And His will would be done, right? On earth as it is in heaven. See, in heaven, God's will is perfectly and completely accomplished. On earth, it's quite a different story. In heaven, there's no disobedience. On earth, we can choose to obey God or not. We can choose to follow His plan for our life or follow our own self-directed life. In heaven... Nothing can get in the way of God's will being done. On earth, 
a lot of times we're the problem. We're the ones who get in the way of God's will being accomplished. We can even thwart His will. We can disregard the leading of the Holy Spirit. As believers, our connection with Jesus is confirmed by doing God's will. Just like the GPS in our car needs to be connected to a source, right, in order to reach our destination, in order to accomplish His will, we need to know and understand that source in our lives. That's why the Apostle Paul prays that those who read his letter to the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Colossians 1, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. See, the Apostle Paul gives instructions here for the Christian life in those two verses. First, that we would know His will, and second, that we would walk in His will, which is to walk worthy of the Lord, which is to walk that smooth path of righteousness. And those two things need to be connected. When we find the one, it's vital to look for the other, to know His will and then to walk in His will. Because it is a choice. But how can we walk worthy of the Lord? How can we walk in His will if we don't know what His will is? And a lot of people have that question. What is God's will for my life? How do I know it? So a couple of things about God's will in relationship to getting us to that place that He wants us to be. First, in John 9, 31, we, we may ask the question here, why do we need to know God's will? Can't we just kind of live our lives and kind of know what's, what's right and wrong and go in that, in that direction? Well, it says in John 9, 31, Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and what? And does his will, he hears him. He hears him. Why is it important that we know His will and do His will? So that our prayers won't be hindered. You know, it's that connection. It's the, that's the way we connect to God's Spirit, is through prayer. And we don't want those prayers hindered by disobedience to His will. In, in 1 John 2.17, speaking of His will... And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Why would we put all of our efforts into temporary temporary things that will eventually fade away when we can live our lives with the eternal perspective? In contrast to everything in the world that's temporary, the kingdom of God is forever. And people are forever. They'll either live in eternity with God or be eternally separated from God. So isn't eternity really the most important thing? The will of God abides forever. So how do we find the will of God for us? 
It's not by human intellect, right? It's by divine revelation of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.12 tells us that. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Don't we want to know those things that God has for us? And we won't find them out with our own intellect. We need to be tapping into that source, His Holy Spirit, being connected to that so that we can know direction and guidance and what steps to take. But there's a few things that are required of us in order to accomplish His will in this life. We can't kind of follow our own path, go our own way, decide for ourselves how we're going to do this life. As believers, there are certain things that God requires in order for us to walk in His will and to reach that destination. See, God's will has to include a few things. It has to include confession and repentance. Why? Why? Because in order to be fully connected to the Holy Spirit, we need to confess and repent, be cleansed from our sin, so that we can walk worthy of the Lord. In the book of Ezra, we see one of the first references in the Bible about doing God's will. The people of Israel were coming under heavy condemnation for their disobedience, and specifically the command to keep themselves separate from the pagan nations around them. You know, God calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. We see the world is passing away. We see the world is given over to wickedness and evil. And as Christians, we should want to separate ourselves from that. Now, of course, we live in this world. And we have to relate to people. But we should not get caught up in those things. It says in Ezra chapter 10, verse 11, now therefore make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and what? And do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the pagan wives. So two elements here of a God-led life coming together in an awesome move of the Holy Spirit. See, first the people recognized their sin and then they made a covenant to turn from that sin. This is an account of an awesome revival. And each of us, individually, needs to get to a place where we know we need revival in our lives. But revival can only come with recognizing our sinful state, confessing to the Lord, turning from those things, and then walking in His will. Walking away from sin. Repentance is doing a 180. It's saying, I was going in this direction This was taking me away from God. I'm going to turn and go in the other direction. It's like following that detour, knowing that it's going to take you to your destination. When this is going to take you down a road with potholes and and all the other obstacles that will get in the way. 1 Corinthians 10.13 
tells us that God will warn us of that closed road up ahead or the upcoming hazard. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There's always an escape. There's always a detour. There's always another road that takes us toward God when we're going down the road that's taking us away from God. But it's a choice that we need to make. Confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. That's part of what needs to be done to follow His will. And then separating ourselves from anything that's not pleasing to Him. And that's a day-by-day, sometimes hour-by-hour process, isn't it? Because we run up against things all the time that will take us away from Him or that won't be pleasing to God. That's called sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, the first part of that verse says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. What is that word? What What does that word mean? It means to be set apart. It means to be set apart for a purpose. When you sanctify something, you set it apart for a specific purpose. We must believe that God has a greater purpose for us. Because if we get ensconced in this world, we're never going to understand God's purpose for our life. It's all going to be about this world. It's always, it's always going to be about what's best for me and not what's glorifying to God. See, God has already established that path for our lives. He knows what's best for us. Anything that pulls us away from Him and towards sin is outside of His will and not part, not part of that original path and original plan. It requires removing ourselves from what the Bible calls that, that crowded road and keeping us on the road less traveled, that narrow path. You know, when, when you travel that narrow path, when you realize that God, that's where God, exactly where God wants you, boy, what a blessing that is. You know, it sounds like a lonely place to be. It sounds like you have really no options. But boy, to stay on that narrow path is just so reassuring, so comforting to us as believers. That's the way we need to look at it. And God's will has to also include rejoicing, praying, and thankfulness. Rejoicing, praying, and thankfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5.16-18 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So you want to know the will of God? Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. How awesome is that? But how can we do that? Sometimes we just don't want to rejoice, right? Sometimes there's a lot of trials. There's a lot of difficulties that are in our life. This might be one of the most difficult things to do as a Christian. Rejoicing 
when things are not so great. But maybe it's the way we look at good and bad, isn't it? Maybe it's because we have this different perspective on what good and bad is, and we don't really look at it from God's view. See, our bad may not be God's bad. Sometimes he uses trials, difficulties, and other things in our lives to establish his will for our lives. And it might not be until we look back on those things and we see, yes, his hand was upon us through that. You know, when I was going through it, I thought it was a really bad thing. But I look back and I see God had a plan. It was not so bad. You know, sometimes, getting back to the road trip analogy, sometimes we get into a fender bender and we think, oh, man, we had a really bad day. But think about how God may have actually protected you from something worse. You know, somebody I was just speaking to the other day said, yeah, they got into this fender bender and, uh, you know, their car was all messed up. But they said, praise the Lord, nobody got hurt. You know, we look at it from our perspective sometimes, but not from God's perspective. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Our prayers need to be constant. It's that communication with Him, ongoing throughout our day, all the time, just keeping in contact with that source. And in everything, give thanks. This is tough. Not necessarily for everything, but in everything, give thanks. In every situation, In every circumstance, give thanks. We don't know what God may be using that for. We don't know what his purpose may be. But to be thankful that God's taking us through something, believing God is faithful no matter what. And continuing on about God's will for our lives, how we walk in that will, through this journey, Peter tells us that it also must include conduct that is above reproach. It says in 1 Peter 2.15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now listen, as Christians, we're not to get arrogant about this. This is not to shut people up. This is to honor and glorify God. And by people seeing our conduct, they may actually say, wow, that person claims to be a Christian and they're actually living it out. Maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's something because they seem to have this this power that's beyond what humans might be able to do. They, They can actually live their life, walk the walk, so to speak. Because I've seen a lot of so-called Christians and they don't walk the walk. But this person is. You want to be that person where where you're not... It says here, put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, but really just to be a testimony, a walking testimony of God working in your life, no matter what. This is our conduct. 
We should never give people outside of the church a reason to doubt our relationship with God. And it's not necessarily always doing the righteous thing, but it might also be how do we handle trials? How do we handle difficulties when they come up? Do we, do we handle it with anxiety or do we give it to God and say, Lord, you know, I'm going to just give this to you. I don't understand. And listen, we don't always do that perfectly, right? I'm the first one to admit that sometimes I'm at a point where I'm freaking out. But I'll tell you one thing. I look back and I know it was those times that I did not trust the Lord. It was those times that I was taking back control, taking back that wheel and trying to steer my life out of those difficulties when I really just should have given that to the Lord. So what does it mean then to walk in His will? We kind of understand what His will is. few things. We need to walk in unity as believers. Walk in unity. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, it says, Therefore, the, there, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling for which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Walk in unity. We all have a common purpose as believers, glorifying God. Walking in unity means that we are humble with one another, that we are gentle and kind with one another, and that we're patient and tolerant with one another. It says there to bear with one another in love. Well, that's because none of us are perfect, that we need to bear with one another in love. You know, we're all human. So within the, within the church, we're not all floating, you know, three feet above the ground. We deal with one another. We bump into one another sometimes. But, but we need to bear with one another, don't we? That's what walking in unity is all about. And what does it look like when even Christians can't get along? We should be loving one another in unity with one another, right? should be a, a testimony and then walking in humility. There's nothing less attractive, really, than a really super prideful person, an egotistical person. Humility is so, so attractive. Not false humility, but really sincerely humble. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. Not be arrogant. Humility is others-centered. That's the opposite of self-centered. Humility is others-centered. Focusing on others more than ourselves. It shifts that focus. How do we build someone up? How, we, how do we serve one another? Right? That's walking in humility. All of these things is following the will of God, wanting to do His will, wanting to 
get to that destination that he wants us to get to. We can only do it through his spirit. We need to walk in newness of life. Why? Well, we're new creations, aren't we? It says in Romans 6, 4, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism unto, into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Why would we continue to walk as if we were the same old people we were before? We're a new creation in Christ. It says in the Bible, old things have passed away. Everything has become new. You know, when, when you're truly walking with the Lord, when you're following His will, when you're tapped in and connected to that source, you, people will say, boy, there's something different. You're like a new person. Have you ever heard people tell you that? You're like, you're like a new person. Maybe people that have known you for years and they almost don't recognize you because you're walking in newness of life. If we walk like the same old people, it's like, and i got to keep the analogy going, it's like getting four new tires and leaving them in the garage, never putting them on the car. Right? We're new creations in Christ. And then he wants us to walk in the light. Walk in the light. And it's so gloomy out there today, it's hard to imagine. But uh, Ephesians 5.8 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are the light of the, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. When we walk in the light, we put off the things of the world. We put on Christ. We choose to be transformed into His image not the image that the world has for us. I know. Sometimes I'm driving at night and there's a person coming in the opposite direction on a two-lane road and they don't have their lights on. Did that ever happen to you? How could you get in the car? And It's happened to me. I mean, I've gotten in the car and forgot to put my lights on. But... When you're on a lit highway or a lit road and there's cars going in both directions, you don't really notice it, that your headlights are not on. But then you turn off onto this, this side road that's not lit, has no street lights and there's no traffic, and you realize, wow, I can't see where I'm going. I don't even have my headlights on. You don't realize you were in darkness until... It's, it's dark all around you, and you can't see. That's not a good place to be. It says, walk in the light. We need to realize who we are in Christ and walk in Him, because He is the light of the world. Walk by faith also. Walk by faith. 2 Corinthians, Corinthians 5.7 says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. To walk by faith means to make faith a part of our everyday activities. Walking is something that really doesn't take much effort. But if we do it consistently, it'll become kind of a natural part of our routine. Walking in faith needs to be a natural part of our everyday journey in this life as a believer. With the faith that we have in the Lord to, to do the work. The Bible says that, that He who's begun a good work in you will what? We'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's faith. 
knowing that if we don't, even if we don't see it at the time, knowing he's working on our life, we're a work in progress. We're going to get there because he promised it. That's faith to know that Jesus will complete that work. And then walking circumspectly. That's kind of a, a big word that means basically thoughtfully and carefully. And in Ephesians 5.15, Paul says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. This adds another dimension to our walk. Not to just get in our, uh, on the road and just, and just start going thoughtlessly, but to be careful and thoughtful about what we do and where we go. And then circling back, walk in the Spirit, right? Walk in the Spirit. Our main verse today in Romans 8.14 says that we should be led by the Spirit of God. Led by the Spirit. And then we can walk in His Spirit. A couple of verses in Galatians. In, in chapter 5, verse 16, it says, I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, there's, a, there's two choices there. Either we walk in the Spirit or we walk in the flesh. We walk according to God's ways or we walk according to our own ways. There's always those two choices. And then in verse 25 it says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Our walk needs to be spirit-led and spirit-empowered, doesn't it? In order to be pleasing to God. And we can produce, then, fruit in this world for His glory. That's like a natural byproduct of that. Our main verse, again, Romans 8.14, speaks of allowing God's Spirit to lead us. If we're not led by God's Spirit, we're going to be led by something else, right? And most of the time, it's our, own, it's our own will. So our walk needs to consist of the above characteristics. If it does, it'll be fruitful. The more obedient we are to his calling, the closer we'll grow to him, and the more we abide in his spirit. This enables us to walk in his will. So you want to know how to do that. It's stay close to Jesus. Stay connected. It's a consistent, close, committed connected walk which produces fruit. As we grow in the knowledge of God and His will, He continues to reveal it more and more to us. Doesn't He? It's like as we, as we take that road trip, you know, you notice that your GPS kind of just gives you the next turn, next couple of turns. It doesn't, you can go in and see the overview, but it doesn't tell you 300 miles down the road, what turn to, to make. Take, take, takes you turn by turn. Whole idea is to stay connected, isn't it, to God? He's the source. He's the source of everything in our lives. What I like about the analogy is that God meets us where we are. You know, when you get into your car and you put your GPS and ask you, what, what's your location most of the time? It kind of meets you right where you're at and takes you from there to your destination. Imagine if everybody had to come to one place 
and leave from there to get to where they were going. God meets us individually where we're at, doesn't he? He says, I know where you're at right now. I know the struggles that you've had. I know the difficulties. I know your past. I know everything that has happened to you that's brought you to this place today. I'm going to meet you right here, and then I'm going to give you direction for the rest of your life. Trust in me. Trust in me. And we enter the destination glorifying God, and he'll take us there. But again, we have the choice, right? We don't have to follow that. We can disregard the direction in our life. There was a popular song that came out a few years ago. Most of you probably know it, called Jesus Take the Wheel. And listen, it's a song. And I think it's a good song, but I think the concept is a little flawed because this is really not how God works in our lives. If you remember how the chorus went, it said, Jesus, take the wheel, take it from my hands, because I can't do this all on my own. I'm letting go, so give me one more chance to save me from this road I'm on. Jesus, take the wheel. I don't know about you, but I would love for Jesus to just take the wheel. Right? Free us from sin. Not allow us. It's like those driverless cars that will eventually come out without a steering wheel in it. Drive us right into righteousness, right? No right turns or left turns. No bumps in the road. But that's not the way it works, is it? In reality, practical living, day to day. See, he allows us to steer our lives. And we can go in whatever direction we desire, really. But he will direct us. He will fill us with his spirit. He'll give us the, the empowerment to go in his ways. And you know, like the guy we spoke about at the beginning who's just driving that powerful sports car, God wants us to experience this journey. He wants us to enjoy it, doesn't he? He wants to give us an abundant life. He doesn't want to just take over. He wants us to feel what we're, what we're going through, what we're dealing with, good and bad. And that's the, that's the beauty of life. That's the beauty. You know, because we get a day like today that's pouring out, but this, it's necessary, isn't it? It's part of, it's part of life. One day during the week, the sun will come back out. I'm starting to see the crocuses and everything's already starting to pop through. So we see how necessary these things are. I'm going to close up here. I want to challenge all of us, believers and those who are here that might still be searching. Do you really want to take that wheel over and chart your own course for this life? Or would you rather have the creator of the universe, the one who made you individually, knows the best plan for your life, would you rather have him chart that course, guide you on this journey? 
That's a question that I think all of us need to consider. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you. Let's turn around.